Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have a full cycle entrepreneur, someone that has done it, has been there, done it, and now he's doing it again. So I think that without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest, Ramos Uncara. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alejandro, for having me on the show. Looking forward to sharing my journey with other people on your show. So originally born in Hyderabad. So how was life growing up there, Ramu? Hey, we went to school in India. It was like, you know, grew up in a middle-class family and, you know, we went into most of the time education was paid by the government and uh, was lucky enough to get into a good prestigious school called Indian Institute of Technology, Madras. And that's where I went and completed my undergraduate there. And there is also, I mean, what I've heard is that there's a lot of social pressure around pursuing the best studies, the best education. Why is that the case in India? Yeah, in India, like, you know, when we grew up, there are only two choices when we were uh, when so good in some kind of a science or math thing. Either you become an engineer or a doctor. So I didn't like becoming a doctor, so I chose the path of becoming an engineer. So I went to a school called IIT Madras. And there is a pressure that, you know, society looks at you like, you know, you're successful means in education is, you get into one of these programs. I was lucky enough to get into IIT and, you know, that gave me the self-confidence that, yeah, we can do things. And definitely you did. But in this case, you know, you had a, a big influence from your father. I mean, your father was a career engineer, a career engineer, and he was working for the same company for 35 years. So what, what kind of influence or inspiration did you get from, from his own journey? Yeah, I was, uh, my father was uh, one of the motivators for me. You know, he worked hard. I mean, in those days, that's the first generation which transitioned from being a, from farming community to taking a job in the industrial world. And uh, he just took up and he grew up the ladder in the same company and he retired after 35 years. Through his journey, whenever he used to meet with entrepreneurs who are doing things like, you know, very unique and, uh, pretty successful by themselves. I mean, he used to take me them, take me to them whenever he met them. And that was a big motivation for me seeing that how these people 
had the, built the self-confidence and wherewithal to go ahead and build a company on their own. And that was my dream all the time and uh, kept nurturing it and kept trying things, new things. So that's when, when I realized that you had to be ready for a change. Whenever I had a good opportunity to change, I took it and jumped with both my feet. For example, like when I left India, I was an engineer, but suddenly we realized that computer science and software engineering will maybe the good field. And I had no background in it, but I went ahead and jumped into computer science at University of Wisconsin-Madison. Why, why, the, why the U.S., Ramo? Why not, you know, staying there in, in India? What really made you think that the U.S. was where your next chapter should be? Yeah, I think in our, uh, every time we get presented with opportunities in our life, right? At that time, when we were growing up, the education in the U.S. was the best you could get. And, uh, and also, like, you know, the schools in those days were giving you what they call a teaching assistantship and, you know, and they used to fund your grad studies. And that's how, like, you know, it was also like a, I would say, like a free, free without any paying of money out of a pocket. And my dad didn't give me any, much money to study for master's so but this university gave me a full ride scholarship so then i said hey this looks like a good opportunity for me not only education is good but it also like i don't have to pay anything through my pocket so that made me jump the ship and and go to university of wisconsin at madison so then after after being here and obviously i'm sure it was quite a, a culture shock for you to see like the u.s and you know the american dream and And all of that stuff that people talk about. I mean, you 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 started, you know, like really, you know, like going into into companies here. You started working at a company called uh, Digital Equipment Corporation, uh, and obviously that was the segue into into Oracle. And, and Oracle for you was a big pillar. You were there for 10 years. So tell us about the experience. Yeah, I think uh, the first company I worked for, uh, Digital Equipment Corporation, doesn't exist anymore. And that tells me, like, you know, that, that told me, like, you know, unless you change, you won't be relevant in the future. And it was very hard for that company. And, it did a, and I learned a lot from that, how to be a consummate engineer in building products. Then I worked for Oracle for 10 years. And I was uh, very, I would say, lucky in trying to pick the problems to solve for that company. And uh, not only that, uh, by building uh, three different products for that company, but also learned how software as a business need to mature and evolve and change with times. So I could change myself about three times in that company. First, I built a product for them to work on this Linux clusters. Uh, that is a, a database that goes up and down on a cluster. Then the second product was trying to look at like what business application will come on because of the internet. We built a, a CRM type of products there. Then um, my last uh, stay at Oracle was building like, you know, collaboration products in real time, like all the Zoom and, you know, uh, WhatsApp, those type of messaging products also we built at Oracle. And that gave me the impetus to, okay, I can adapt to change quickly. So that's when I started to become an entrepreneur and left Oracle in uh, 2006 to start my own journey in building a startup but i mean you were at oracle for 10 years i mean you were talking about like the real you had your nine to five you had the nice paycheck 
I mean, entrepreneurship was something new. I mean, was it maybe like a little bit scary to all of a sudden give your notice and go into the unknown? Yeah, it was, um, I mean, in hindsight, I was just like, you know, enamored with the dream of become, working for myself and becoming an entrepreneur, you know. It was scary. Um, I left Oracle on the day I got married, like, you know, July 4th, you know. I told my wife, you know, I'm going to do this thing sometime in my life, you know. So I just left it and uh, went and parked myself in my garage, in my home, and uh, started thinking of what problem to solve. And, you know, and uh, it was it was scary experience, you know, to start with. Uh, because uh, at Oracle, you get like, you know, really good uh, uh, office and paychecks. And not only that, the company has been in business of pioneering new technology. So you get a lot of respect in the industry. If you go represent, I'm such and such a person from Oracle. And boom, all of that is gone, you know. Now here I am in, as an entrepreneur in my own garage, um, working at this weird idea called video, you know. I was, it was very hard, you know. And it took me so, like almost 18 months to regroup myself, you know. I hear you. So then what happened next? So I um, I was just ready to look into the future, what could happen next. And, you know, video was on the horizon. Then we said like, hey, how about doing video? And uh, then we said like, you know, at this time, America didn't have an iPhone, you know. And we said like, hey, let's do a video on a phone, you know. Then the initial team I had, you know, in that startup, um were a little bit hesitant because cell phone and video was not known yet in those days and cell phones didn't have any smartphone like capability nokia was the leader in this cell phone but anyway we decided okay let's take a plunge we'll try to figure out what we can do on a cell phone with video and that is when we started a company called quick qik right in my garage and went ahead and figured out how to raise funding got a few rounds done and got it going. And what about the the founding team? You know, how, how did you put the founding team together? Yeah, the founding team, we were lucky, you know, the people whom I knew um, for years joined me. Uh, Pascal was heading marketing and, you know, and Nick was heading uh, technology and engineering. And I was doing both fundraising and strategy and uh, helping us stay on course. Uh, the initial team is very important because the startup journey is like, you know, it's, it's, it's not a walk in the park. It's, it's like fraught with uh, a lot of unknowns at the same time, like, you know, a lot of changes in the market. But the founding team was uh, the right team for Quick. I was lucky to partner with them and get the journey going. And later we also got lucky when Vijay, one of the early investors, also joined the team full time. And that trio really helped to sail that ship to a great destination. Yeah. And obviously quite a, quite a good destination with a good outcome. But we'll get to that in just a little bit. But one of the things that definitely happened that really tested the team was right around the Series B when the whole economy was coming to a screeching halt and obviously your fundraising efforts too. I mean, what, what, what happened there? Yeah, I think uh, it, uh, when we first pioneered the capability to do a live video from a cell phone, we were the darling in Silicon Valley. We won every single award given to a mobile company, you know, in 2008, 2009, you know. And suddenly, like, you know, and then we raised a Series A in just in a weekend. 
we could raise a series here of $3 million in a weekend, you know, by just showing them the product and people who said, wow, and here is people who wrote a check for us. Then with that ease of raising funding, and then we started expanding the company. In 2009, there was a financial crisis in uh, North America. Here is a company which is flying high and, you know, and the product was growing rapidly. And they, we didn't have any business model on top of the product. And suddenly, like, you know, financial markets collapsed and uh, all the venture funds uh, who were excited to do uh, Series B quickly to the company who were giving term sheets just walked away from us in uh, 2008, 2009 um, fall. One after another, they walked away from their uh, interest in the company. I was very hard for the next uh, nine months. We just barely survived, you know. I mean, barely survived means we're almost bankrupt every month. And uh, we begged and borrowed to keep the company going and kept the product matured more and more. And we had to lay off almost two-thirds of the people. And uh, But kept the core team together and, you know, made progress. And that is what get us to the next step. And obviously this for you, I'm sure that it was quite um quite 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 a tough a tough part of the journey but typically those are the events that that lead to the to the biggest i would say breakthroughs and lessons than what that one learns no so i guess what lessons were there for you to learn during those dark you know 9 months yeah two things lessons which i learned was um i think uh, your founding team it gets tested a lot and that time test of this intense pressure and lack of money and, you know, market looking back at you, right? Stood the time of test for us. Then the second thing is, as a business, you need to figure out how to make money, right? And we were, you shouldn't get carried away by, like, you know, what the world is. Uh, we were a little bit naive to just to let the growth happen without any monetization on top of it or any anything inside, like, you know? So we are incurring tons of cost in in data centers and things like that. People are growing, but we didn't have any business model. And also the use case which we had was not monetizable, you know. Nowadays, like live streaming is monetizable. In those days, it was not. There was no ad inventory, nothing like that, right? We didn't have an idea how to monetize the service that was given to mobile users. And also the timing of cell phone was also not right, meaning North America didn't have any iPhone or like, you know, Android kind of devices in those days. So as a result, like, you know, the distribution also is very limited. So the second lesson is, I mean, you you should have a good team, but also market timing should help you to take off to build the right business model. So both, I mean, team, we got one right, we didn't get the timing part right. But somehow we weathered the storm. For and what months. would you say, what would you say was the turning point? Because, I mean, nine months... You know, it's a lot of, I mean, those days, I'm sure it could have been like a lifetime. So so what would you say was the turning point? Yeah, the turning point was like, you know, Apple launching phone and, you know, iPhone and Apple created the App Store marketplace. And we could launch uh, the quick service before there was a FaceTime and Apple. And that became number two paid app in a very short while, you know, and boom. Then also App Store has a monetization model. We could charge for the app downloads. And that's when we were getting like in a few tens of thousands of dollars in revenue immediately. So revenue flywheel also was spinning in 2010 for us. Um, the turning point was 
the market timing was perfect and the product was there. So that's when like, you know, we got, uh, I would say we got lucky in terms of getting the revenue flywheel spinning for a short while. So Ramu, so, so for obviously before we even talk about Skype and the acquisition of Skype, uh, there were great investors. I mean, you had raised close to 15 million right before the acquisition happened. Who were some of the investors that you had involved? The early investors of uh, of Quick were uh, founders of uh, um, early founders of Oracle, as well as like you know uh, people like Ben Horowitz, Mark Andreessen, and uh, Mark Benioff. They did my Series A, and um, later we had uh, a few early stage venture funds uh, who wanted to participate in the journey. We were lucky enough to get them on board, and in Series B and Series C timeframe. And that's why we raised $16 million in funding for the company. Very cool. So, so I guess, uh, just to recap this, so what, what ended up being the business model? You know, now that it was flying, you know, like with the App Store and everything, so what ended up being the business model of Quick? Yeah, the business model of, uh, of charging for app downloads initially kind of worked for us in the Apple App Store. But pretty soon, Apple uh, released FaceTime as a free product on their uh, platform. So that kind of made that business model didn't fly too long. Then we realized that, like, you know, the people who benefit from video were the mobile operators and the handset vendors, all the Android-based handset vendors and the operators. So we figured out a plan by which the operator can sell or at least pace Allen, place quick indirectly uh, uh, using uh, per install, as well as uh, they used to pay an NRE fee to get the service available on their network, like T-Mobile, Sprint, Verizon, AT&T. These operators were paying us indirectly for having the service launched as part of their broadband initiatives. Very cool. And so let's let's talk about now the acquisition. So tell us about that moment when Skype knocked on the door and and, and how did you guys go about, you know, fulfilling and, and, and completing that acquisition? Yeah, Skype was, uh, was the dominant player on uh, PC uh, laptop computers to do peer-to-peer video chat and, you know, uh, voice uh, calls. And they were looking to, of course, by the time they realized that, like, you know, mobile is the future. And they were looking for the right partner and uh, that would round up their strategy for mobile. At that time... Uh, Skype was working with some of these mobile operators which were adopting uh, Quick. And uh, they immediately realized that, like, you know, hey, this company called Quick already has gotten to Sprint and T-Mobile and soon getting into Verizon. So then soon they will have a network effect of all the mobile devices using this service called Quick. And that's the best way to complement what they had on PCs with mobile. And um, Verizon told them, like, you know, they really saw the quick product and they really liked how it was built and stuff like that to Skype. And Skype came running to us and, you know, and the whole initial term sheet and closure happened very short while. In three, four weeks, they acquired the company. And um, initially, we thought, like, you know, Skype is such a big entity and, you know, we probably cannot withstand their competition. So we said, like, it's a good fit for uh, Quick and the team to bring that technology to the market through Skype Umbrella. 
as well as it be complement what Skype already had, meaning the mobile and desktop solution will be complete for Skype. And I mean, what, what were the terms of the acquisition? How, how big was the acquisition? Yeah, Skype acquired the entire company for $150 million in cash. And, uh, in the, and we transitioned the entire team over to Skype after the acquisition. That's really unbelievable. And, and, I, and I know that you had the opportunity as well to, to do some fun plans with your parents. I'm sure that was very, very fulfilling for you. Yeah, I think one of the things which I could do, like, you know, after we got the things done and, you know, we were lucky enough uh, to have some funds and, you know, took our parents for on a paid trips with us and they could see the some parts of the world with us. And uh, it was a good uh, celebration with them. Uh, and also we could show them world they haven't seen before. So it was awesome and it was also emotional for us. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Now, obviously, part of the integration and, and now being in this next chapter with Skype, I mean, one of the things that you really saw was that there's no reason to be scared of larger competitors. Uh, and, and in this case, you know, it was really clear and apparent to you. I mean, why? And obviously now, you know, we'll talk about it in just a little bit, but you're taking on, you know, a bunch of giants, you know, once again. But but what was that breakthrough moment where you really got and you were present to the fact that there was no need to be scared of, of, of competing against larger players? Yeah, I think this is like, you know, hindsight, right? When we got acquired by Skype, right? We were a small company, you know, building uh, and just focused on solving only one problem, doing, providing a good video experience on mobile devices to have a video conversations. And we thought like Skype is just like in a huge organization with like, you know, lots of resources to it and a huge install base of few hundreds of millions of users. And uh, they can easily move into mobile and they could like, you know, just kill us instantly, right? And I was so scared that, you know, this could happen quickly. And when Skype wants to do mobile, but what I learned is subsequently after the acquisition and going inside Skype and working there for some time, we realized that even though the company was so large, much larger than Quick was, but uh, the large company usually has lots of problems when a new market opens up. Number one problem is they have a huge install base. They can't move there quickly. Number two is the technology infrastructure they have is also dated because it has evolved in a different marketplace. And now we're getting to a new market segment. It's, it's, it's nearly impossible for them. That's the reason why they do acquisitions too. And number three is the team is not hungry enough to go dominate the new segment. Whereas a startup has all three benefits. So that is when I decided like, okay, I don't think we should be so, so scared of the competition. What should be, we should be scared about is what's the daily work we do by ourselves will help us succeed far more than the competition. I firmly believe that a small team which is focused and executes daily in a systemic manner, and of course with the self-confidence, will definitely outdo the competition without, without worrying too much about the competition. And of course, the market timing also should help you in bringing this innovation to market. And that's what I'm seeing right now as well. So then talking about like what, what came after, because obviously, you know, uh, Skype would end up being acquired by Microsoft. So you would again see the whole acquisition thing. So now you were able to really have access to 
to that full cycle of how, you know, a company goes from nothing, from being being literally in your garage to like being under the umbrella of one of the biggest companies in the world. So I guess now, you know, that you were really exposed to that and, and, and that you knew how to cook it, how to kill it, how to cook it. I mean, they, it's like, why would you want to do it for somebody else? Especially once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. So tell us about that moment where you knew that it was time to go at it again. Yeah, I think uh, once we joined, like, you know, uh, this large organizations, you know, after we joined Skype, Skype got acquired by Microsoft subsequently, you know, and uh, these are like, Microsoft is a fantastic company, you know. Um, but the urge to innovate and create something that the future you can think of, it's a little bit harder with a bigger company because they have such a huge install base and existing people have to agree to it and things like that, right? So it is much harder. So we decided, like you know, okay, we will take a we will uh, we will take a step and figure out like what is the future we can create and we will enjoy creating it. And that is when we let us to leave my uh, Microsoft later and you know and uh, start our new venture, uh, which we uh, which is Allen AI right now. So then tell us about Alan AI. I mean, how did you come across the problem and how did you go about bringing it to life? Yeah, Alan AI was, um, of course, the path to Alan right now, what we are doing in Alan is not a straight line. You know, we we were uh, initially building a product for meetings, you know, then uh, as we're building a product for meetings, we added voice commands to the product. And our users really liked that voice commands we added to the meeting application we created. And uh, we then realized that, you know, hey, we can enable simple voice commands in any application, you know. Just to give you some perspective, when people use mobile applications today, right, they need to spend time to getting familiar with the functionality in these apps, as well as the interface of these apps, right? And every app is different. <laughs> and most of us give up using them, right? That's why almost like, 99.9% yeah. .9 of the mobile applications end up dead, right? So that's when we saw that, okay, there's an opportunity to make all these products much simpler with voice. That gave us the vision to build the Allen platform. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, tell us about, because, I mean, we've been talking about team and the importance of, of, of really putting together a solid team that can weather the storm. So in this case, you know, especially based on what you had, you know, really experienced with, with your previous company with Quick, what did you do differently or how did you go about really assembling that 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 initial team? Yeah, I think the initial team, uh, of course, it should be complementary skill sets, you know, uh, in the initial team. And also people who can muster the storm, you know, this, as, as, as I described in my journey with Quake, it is not a straight line there too, right? You just went a couple of times, you know, very hard, you know. And so initially even with Alan, right? So this is where I made sure like, you know, me and my co-founder Andre, we worked together at Quake and, you know, he is, he has the tenacity and perseverance and the vision to execute, you know, and also he's also a visionary in looking into the future. Um, and with him, like, you know, I could pair up. And this one thing we did this time was the entire founding team is in the same office in the same room. And that was not the case with my previous startup Quake. You know, some of us were in the U.S. and somewhere in Moscow, Russia. 
So this time we'd made sure like the founding team is all in the US in the same place. So our vision with this, with Alan is like, you know, we want to make every, every application very simple. Should just be able to open any application, ask it what you want. It understands exactly what you said and does what you have asked. And this is the fundamental AI technology we developed and we're bringing to the market right now. Very cool. So I guess uh, for the people that are listening, so what, what, what ended up being now the, the business model of Alan? So, yeah, I, I, th I think uh, we are getting good adoption right now with Alan in the marketplace. We have several thousands of um, people signing up and bringing up, bringing up in-app voice assistance on their applications for themselves. And we charge in two ways. We plan to offer the service for number of concurrent users in each application on a paid basis. If you're an app, if you're an app users like, you know, concurrently, like, you know, 100 users, you pay one price, 1,000 users or 10,000 users or 1 million users, we charge them at different price tiers. And we're also learning which monetization model will stick well for us. And we're going to experiment that in the next one year. And uh, that's, uh, that's where we are. And right now we are focused more on how do we get adoption and get a delightful experience for a few thousands of these applications in the stores. And obviously, uh, this is your second rodeo, and, and, and we've talked about team and surrounding yourself by the right people. But obviously, from your last journey, I'm sure that you learned quite a bit of about surrounding yourself by the right investors. I mean, obviously, in this case, you guys are at an early stage now as you're thinking about, you know, really assembling, you know, that, that team as well of, of investors. So what, what have you learned about investors and, and for, uh, let's say, for, for this journey I mean, who do you think are going to be the ones that, that you're definitely going to want to, to, to bring here as part of it? Yeah, I think uh, that's a very good uh, question uh, from a capitalization of the company point of view, right? It's uh, not only the company's founding team, the investors have to be the integral part of getting this uh, business to flower up. And investors, like, you know, from our perspective, the people who are, who are coming in, not just with capital, but also with the right motivation to create this business. Why would the world be better, number one, right? Because of this thing, not just making money, right? Um, I personally think voice makes uh, computing expand the next 10 times, you know, uh, because it's easy for everyone to talk to this software product, right? So that's one, they should be fully believing that vision. Second thing is, they should have also have had um, experiences of building game-changing companies in the past. I mean, there are so many companies that have, um, they have opportunity to invest in it. But we want to see like someone who has taken it from all the way from ground zero to um, the next uh, billion-dollar uh, revenue streams. That's the kind of a trait we want to see with them. Got it. So obviously, you know, they say. This 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 whole space, you know, of, of of being able to use voice. I mean, it's it's really taking off. I mean, you've seen the Alexas, you know, Google. Uh, I mean, it's it's really unbelievable. But in this case, I mean, really, what you guys are doing is allowing anyone to pull the phone out of their pocket to really give a command uh, to the phone, and basically for that application that needs to be giving them what they need, you know, everything right on the spot instead of having to familiarize yourself with 
with the nonsense, you know, of apps that sometimes you even give up on it. So I guess in let's say in the in in this scenario in which you were to go to sleep tonight and you were to wake up, let's say in a world five years later where the vision of Alan is fully realized, what would that world look like? I I think that's a very good question. Just like, you know, in the last 10 years, we have seen the mobile landscape take off and all of us are familiar with the touch and type experiences, right? Today, five years from now, touch and type will be the legacy experience. We will be using just conversational voice to just like we're having this conversation in this, in this podcast, we'll be able to just have a converse with an intelligent applications where they'll talk back to you and assist you to complete whatever you're doing without even touching the application. And this will be not only making a lot more people use the software products, it will improve the engagement and adoption of the current products. It will also make the world safer, you know. For example, it's not safe to use any of these software products while you're driving. It will make people a lot more productive. When people are going and, you know, picking things in, um, uh, for example, like all these delivery systems are trying to have people pick up things so they can just use a voice assistant to just pick up things much faster and do probably two to three times more than what they can do today. So the world will be much more expanded with a lot more people using technology with voice. The world will be safer, productive. So all will be delivered by just having the ability to have a conversational experience with any software we touch today. That's amazing. Well, I can't wait, you know, because I'm I'm tired of getting familiarized with like new apps that uh, that it's just such a a time sunk. And I'm sure that many that of the people that are listening are, are going to be excited, you know, when they see Alan, you know, fully realized to its best capabilities and you guys are well well on your way ramu so what an incredible what an incredible journey so i'm sure that you know now you know if uh, if after all of the lessons and the successes you know failures everything that comes in the ups and downs of building a business i mean there's one question that i typically ask the guests that come on the show and that is if you had the chance ramu to go back in time and 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 perhaps have a younger a, a chat with your younger self with that younger ramu that was about to put in the notice in Oracle before launching the first business. Knowing what you know now, if you could go back in time, what would that be the one piece of business advice that you would give to the younger Ramu and why before launching a business, given what you know now? Yeah, very good, very good question. You know, I would, one advice I would give myself is make sure you pick the right partners to do the job. It's not easy journey. It's by no means, it's a straight line. This journey has to be done with the right set of people to succeed. And of course, be prepared for second thing I would give myself an advice is, one has to be prepared. This is like a marathon. It's not like a sprint. You need to keep on working towards your end goal, but the stamina you need is much longer than just like, you know, six months or one year. Those are the two pieces of advice I would give myself. Pick the right team and have the stamina to run the long run. I love it. So, Ramu, for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? 
Hey, they can send me an email. Uh, my email is ramu at allen.app. You know, my social media profiles on LinkedIn is also updated. So they can reach out both ways to me. Fantastic. So what, what's the um, the Twitter handle? And maybe, I mean, are you on LinkedIn? Are those the ones that you're referring to? Yeah, my LinkedIn is profile is my first name and last name. They can easily find me. And my Twitter handle is Ramu. I don't use Twitter that much. But LinkedIn is good. Fantastic. Well, Ramu, thank you so much for being on the Deal Maker Show today. Thank you, Alejandro, for having me. It was uh, good talking to you. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.